trigger warning for discussion of childhood sex abuse, sexual assault, and emotional abuse. Good morning. Good morning. I guess it's morning. Um, I'm Emily. And I'm Charlotte. And um, this is the first episode of the podcast. And I'm super excited. Um, so this is Surviving on Wine and Cuss Words. And this is a podcast that's kind of going to be about maybe like trauma that we experienced and what happened before, during, and after that trauma and kind of how we chose to survive and move on with our lives. Uh, Mom, can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to do this podcast? The first answer I will give is... It'll come out, of course, during the progression of this podcast, my <coughs> my experience on my side. The reason, though, the basic reason is when I was going through, as a non-offending parent, what I went through, the one thing I wanted more than anything in the world was someone else to say, I know exactly what you mean because they've been there and that's something I did not have. So I, I know I was not the only one in the world, but I felt completely alone and lost and how to navigate everything that you went through, the family went through, we went through without, without a outline, without instruction. That was very complicated so I wanted to do it so that if there were other non-offending parents looking for support here it is so a little bit of background is that I was sexually abused as a child um, between the ages of 9 and 16 Uh, my parents were Divorced, and I actually disclosed that information to my mom when I was about 16 years old. And so this is kind of our journey of like learning kind of just how to recover from that. And so um, she's obviously, like she said, the non-offending parent. And, you know, there's a lot to that as well as being, you know, anybody who's been abused in any way. And it's taken a long time to get just to this point. So that's something else of note that um, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not, you can't snap your fingers or take a magic pill or anything like that. It takes time to work through it and survive. Right. And so as we kind of go through this podcast, we're going to kind of be talking about the stages of what we went through as we started our healing journey. Um, One thing I did want to point out is that one book we'll be using as a reference is The Courage to Heal by Elaine Bass and Laura Davis. This is a great resource for anyone who's experienced childhood sexual assault. Um, It really just talks about each stage and we'll use this kind of as a guide um, as we go through and talk about our own stages. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is the emergency stage. So this is that moment when you finally tell somebody 
when like shit hits the fan and shit hit the fan and you know everything changed when you really just look yourself in the mirror and you're like okay this did happen and there's no more turning away from it um that is something that Laura Davis calls the emergency stage. And um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about our experience with the emergency stage. So I'll talk a little bit about um, our disclosure. Mm -hmm. So, and before you start your disclosure story and my disclosure story are very different because those angles are very different. Hearing it and telling it are two different things. So right, those might be intermixed in here. So um, basically, uh, one day I just decided it was time to sit down and tell my mom that I had been experiencing all this abuse. My um, the abuser was my father, um, and my dad was picking me up to go to his house for the weekend, and. It was actually going to be for the whole week. For the week. And I just couldn't do it. And just something in me was like, I have to, I just have to tell somebody. I just have to tell my mom today. Even when you made that decision, though, it took a lot of, it took a lot of encouragement to get you to say it. Right. You know, it took an hour sitting on the couch crying what is wrong no i'll just tell you when you get back i'll just tell you when you get back no it it took a little bit of prying to get that out even after you have made a decision it, it's time to disclose yeah i mean because from the point of view of someone who experienced that abuse when you tell somebody that's like the point of no return right like um, there's no going back. back. You're real. It's real. Um, when you tell somebody something like that, you know, my dad's been abusing me for years. That's not made up. Mm-mm. You know, that didn't come from nowhere, especially when it takes a while to like muster up the words to say it. Um, so it, it can be hard, especially if you're somebody who wants to disclose your abuse to a family member or a friend it can be so hard just to get those words out but I think it was worth it I definitely think it was worth it Mm -hmm. and I think when you from my point of view the biggest advice I could offer anyone who hears those words um, I've been abused I'm being abused is don't ask any questions. They've told you what they need to tell you. They've told you what they need to get out. That That's all they need at that point is someone to hear it, someone to believe it, and someone to help them go forward. Just no more questions. That's all you need. That's all you need. I've been abused. Right. That's well, it. Yeah, and I feel like it can be really tempting um, to want to pry, to want to ask mm-hmm. questions, to want to know those details. But if somebody just needs to tell you, like, I need support, like, you don't always have to go prying for those details. It can be really tempting. But um, at the end of the day, you need to understand that they're going to tell you what they need to tell you at that time. You just have to trust that. You can't, 
go into, I, I mean, everybody's going to be shocked in their own way, but the, the first thing, if I turned around and said, what do you mean? How did that happen? You know? Right. When did that happen? What happened? That's yeah. not what needs to happen. When someone takes the opportunity to disclose, that's all they need to say. Right. It happened. The puppy just came in the room. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Sit down, sweetheart. Or we're going to lock you out of here. <laughs> so, Mom, can you talk a little bit about your experience on that day that I told you I was being abused? Like, what did that look like from your point of view? Do you remember that day very well? Oh, gosh. Um, yes, I remember it. I remember, like I said earlier, sitting on the couch and you having to say something, having to say something, but keeping on telling me, you'll just tell me when I get back from Los Angeles. You'll just tell me. I'll just tell you when you get back. Knowing it was an extremely um, emotional thing that you were trying to tell me because you were crying. And I'm not going to leave on a plane for Los Angeles the next day when, when I don't understand what's going on with you. So I kept, I kept pushing and I thought to myself, this is, this is too emotional not to be something real. This is not somebody who failed their math test and is scared to tell me. So I sat there thinking, she's, with these emotions, the the thought went through my mind, she's either pregnant or she has suffered some sort of abuse. And I found myself hoping you were pregnant, you know, that we can deal with that. That's, Mm -hmm. that's something that I could draw from experience. You know, I, there are other people who have been pregnant young. No big deal. Right. But when you finally said it, I actually don't think, if I remember correctly, I don't think you said it. I think I said, have you been abused? And I think you just nodded your head because you you were still crying. And... I asked if it was your dad and you nodded your head and that's all I needed to hear. But at that point, you know, I, I hugged, everything's going to be okay. You, you say everything's going to be okay. That's all I need to hear. I excused myself. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. And I stepped out front of the house and I threw up. I was in shock. Um, Again, not knowing what to do because there is no outline for it. Came back in a couple of times just to make sure you were okay. And, you know, made one phone call to my mom, your grandma, Nanny. We would refer to her as Nanny. This is what I just found out. What the fuck? What do I do? How do I keep from 
getting in the car and going to commit a murder. And she was calm because she always is. Nanny's very level-headed. Mm-hmm. Call the police. So I made the call to the police. They said they were going to send a sheriff out to take a statement. And I said, okay, went back inside and sat with you while you cried. No questions, no questions, because you had already told me the only thing that I needed to move forward. Right, exactly. That's it. Then, no, I did at that point go in and tell your brother because he was in his room, you guys won't be going to your dad's because I wasn't sure how to speak to why at that point you won't be going to your dad's. Why? That's what he said. Why? Yeah. Just trust me. You're not going. And then came out with you because at that point that was my... And I think there's something really interesting here, too, is the context of my father being emotionally manipulative. Mm -hmm. So there's the context of you being the enemy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Alex's reaction of why, why would you keep me from him? You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing um, is very interesting in that moment as well. Right. Not to. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we'll get into it in future. But that was the place of fun. That yeah. was the place of you can put your headphones and stick your head in a video game all week long and nobody's going to say anything to you. Right. You're not going to have to I don't care if you do your homework or I don't care if you shower. That was the Yeah. You know, I've got journals documenting how Alex would come home 3 days later in the same clothes he left in, right. never taking a shower. You know, it's it's just it was the place where nothing was enforced and of course in in later episodes, we will get into whys and hows and how that was very manipulative. But, but yeah, I was the enemy. I was the enemy in his eyes when I came in and said, you're not going to your dad's like you're supposed to be going to your dad. Right. And, you know, in your head, you're just dealing with something that is mm-hmm. just unfathomable for a lot of parents and a lot of adults. I mean, you think about teachers that are mandated reporters, healthcare workers that are mandated reporters, and a lot of people, you know, they don't want to be, they they don't want it's that help yet. Well, it, it's it's hard when he wasn't the one who said anything. He didn't make the decision to disclose. Our brother, Al- right. My brother, Alex. Alex. Yeah. So it's really hard. Like, I don't know what he knows because I'm not asking questions. I'm not prying at this point, I know what I need to know, and all he needed to know was he wasn't going. Right. So he didn't know why, which, of course, started a flurry of text messages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. So that was, it was shocking. You know, it was, it was the first time I ever heard Bo, my husband at the time, say the word fuck. <laughs> I mean, I really, he doesn't cuss much yeah it's odd because surviving on wine and cuss words i cuss (laughs) a lot but when he drove in the driveway i remember that we were still sitting on the couch crying and um 
I heard his car pull in and I knew you went out there. He needed to know what was going on before he came in because he would come in and say, What the hell's wrong? Joking, mm-hmm. you know, thinking, you Yeah, know, we, we might cry a lot. Right. <laughs> so right. he might have thought we were crying over like a like a dog commercial or something. Right, because a gum commercial <laughs> or, you know, whatever. So I know I knew he needed to know before he walked in the house, so I excused myself from you again, and I stopped him when he got out of the car and said, Emily told me that she has been sexually abused for many years. And he said, fuck. And I threw up again. And and so anyway, it it's... It was a it was a strange day. And you know, in that moment when you're watching all these people like get so upset on your behalf, it's like you're not even thinking about yourself. You're like, oh my god, look at all this chaos that I caused and by telling people this. All these people who are upset who were perfectly fine before I should have just kept it to myself. You know, and all these thoughts are running through your mind. I'm not saying that's right. Oh but yeah. these are normal thoughts to have. Absolutely. That's what I was gonna say. What did you know, what did it look like for you? Because that's something that I never asked or never really I mean, thought about when I would excuse myself and go outside and leave you alone, even though it might be just for five minutes. You know, what was that for you? Yeah. Sitting there. So for me, you know, it's it's coming to turn. I'm like, you know, really in my head, it was like, there's no taking it back now. Um in my head, I was like, you know, everything's going to be different now. Like, obviously, we chose to go the route to call the police and to press charges. Um, as we'll get into later episodes, you know, we went to trial and... Um, it was, yeah, it was... So, it, it was a life-altering experience a that I knew was happening. And I, I also remember feeling a sense of relief. Like... Mom was calling all these people and telling all these people that this was going on. And, like, in my head, I was like, God, I wanted to do that for so long. For so long. And so, in my head, it was like this just, all right, let's just rip the Band-Aid off at once. Let's call everyone we know. Well, you we know, because call a lot, a lot of people. But, but, like, people who were mutual friends with you and my father as well. And, you know, so... it. We just had to gather support. Right. You know, it, it was going to be a tough fight. Um, we needed to know who was in our court. Right. Yes. Yeah. on our side. I mean, I know that sounds weird because you would think, uh, naturally, you would think, well, everybody's going to be on your side. Mm-hmm. Who in their right mind is not going to be on your so, side? But what you have to deal with are people who don't believe. Right. And so getting into that, talking about the next couple days, um... The next day my dad was arrested after I was after I told my mom, the next day my dad was arrested. And so I'm thinking, fuck, my parents are divorced. Half my shit's at my dad's house. Mm-hmm. So I gotta go get my stuff. My dad at the time has two sisters living with him. So two of my aunts are living over there and a lot of his family is living over there. Um and obviously, you know, He's been arrested. He's made a huge deal. He's left everybody all these notes about how, you know, he's never going to see them again. Um, And this was just a real turning point for me. And I'll never forget this. Um, 
my dad's sister. We were in my dad's bedroom and I was just looking to collect things, my stuff. Um, And she looked at me and she was crying and she was looking around at the house and she was like, oh, he just, he built all this. Or, you know, he, he worked so hard for all this. And she looked me in the eyes and said, I just don't understand why you couldn't keep it in the family. Like why you wouldn't just talk to me about it instead of calling the cops. Um, and in that moment, you know, I, I'm 16 years old. I've never cut family out of my life. I've never cut somebody out of my life who said, I love you. You know, I've always trusted adults as most children do. And so someone who's supposed to be your aunt, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who's supposed to love you, um, not, yeah. And then for her to say that, I was like, okay, you're, I get that this is your brother who is in jail now, but I'm a child and I needed help. And I feel like that should be the priority. Absolutely. And something that's so scary in the emergency stage is burning a lot of those bridges, you know, especially if your abuser is well-loved. Luckily, my father was not. <laughs> but um, if your abuser is like, like... a cult leader. Right. And, and we'll get into that. Yeah. But, you know, if you've got somebody who is adored... I mean, you think about people who disclose sexual abuse against celebrities. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about someone who's adored. That's so much more of a tough fight. Because you're going, oh, well, I just couldn't see them doing that. Right. And luckily, I, I wasn't against that, but more just like, why, why'd you have to tell? Mm-hmm. Kind of, that was the, why, why'd you we have to tell? We could have dealt with this. Yeah, we, we could have done something. And and I'd never cut people out of my life. But that year, when I was 16 years old, I cut my entire dad's side of the family out of my life. You know, people I had grown up with, really. And... uh you know, never spoke to them again because I was like, if you're not on my side, I don't need you right now. I need only people who are absolutely a hundred percent rooting for me or I am not going to survive. Right. And I, cutting people out was not a hard part for me. The hard part for me was the chaos in my mind when I was trying to go down the list and figure out who was on our team and all of a sudden it just, it just became a fuck it. I I don't give a shit. I'm going to take Alex brother. I'm going to take Emily sister. And and it's just going to be the three of us. I mean, even, even Bo, even my husband at that time, like I don't, don't give a shit. We're starting from ground zero because I don't have the mental capacity to figure out who's in our circle so I know who I know are my two children who I birthed and me. And that's it. That was it. That's where we started. So I didn't take this wide circle and make it smaller. I went, bam, and then let's figure out who's on our team. Right. Like, I want to leave this I I just want the three of us to go somewhere where no one can touch you. And see, very interestingly, I had the very opposite reaction. In my head, I'm like, I can't lose anybody else. I just Mm -hmm. lost my dad. I don't want to lose anybody else. I want anything to be different. Um, 
And so in my head, I'm just like grasping. I was reaching out to friends that I hadn't talked to in years just to have somebody to hang out with because I was like, I've got to build this support. In my Mm -hmm. head, I'm like, I've got to build this team that is behind me and people that love me. And, you know, that summer... And in my head, I was like, everybody stay the fuck away. Exactly. I can take care of her now. I know what's going on, which, I mean, that just triggered me in that whole, I can take care of her now like I should have known. But at that point, I know. I know now, and I don't want anybody near her. Stop. Just go away. Go away. So we were opposite there we were unknowingly because i mean we're talking the first 24 hours right you trying to gain this posse yeah and, and the support and me trying to stay everybody stay the fuck away oh, because I, I can't trust anybody I, you got on my facebook and started blocking people <laughs> from my facebook account that are still blocked to this day anybody who like knew my dad you're a block 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 that's it you're out um go go Mm -mm. so moving on uh something that's kind of unique about our case was that it was covered by our local news so can you talk a little bit about what that was like to turn on the evening news and see your ex-husband you know the father of your child on the news and every and then that's when everyone started calling us mm -hmm. they're like oh shit i know that dude um well the fact that it was a minor involved they didn't give the name. They didn't give my name. Yeah, the victim. So all they gave was the mugshot and his name. So of course, everybody that knew us, we hadn't told people yet because we did run away the next day. We had to take. I did not leave for Los Angeles, obviously, but Bo still had to go. So we drove to Atlanta. The next morning, I got the call from the detective saying they'd taken him into custody. Okay, it's good. Go ahead. I mean, I remember we were just trying to not be normal because driving to Atlanta and going to Dave and Buster's was not normal, you know. Right. But do something. Just fun, trying to do something to get everybody's mind off of it. So we we drove to Atlanta the next day, and I remember the uh, detective calling me to tell me um, they had set bond at half a million dollars or mm-hmm. whatever you know oh, okay so he's not getting out lots of phone calls came in while I was trying to play games with you guys at Dave and Buster's you yeah. know so I'm trying to, to pretend be normal. like nothing's happening and then I'm stepping outside to take these phone calls uh, and it was it was weird but we were out of town and we didn't know the next day we dropped Bo off at the airport and went back where all of a sudden, it's on Facebook. It was on the local news. Local man was arrested for, you know, sexual. I don't even know what he was arrested for in the beginning because it was, I mean, that's a whole well, other crazy story. It was story, rape but, and incest. Yes. And so, you know, you hear rape and incest. That is visceral, well, right? No, no, I don't think we heard incest. If you, if you remember correctly, we were astounded at the negative comments Mm -hmm. on the Facebook stuff Mm -hmm. where they were saying, where they were saying, you know, oh, the mom needs to be strung up too, because how could she not know? And and we decided to sit down 
and read them and and pick them apart at how stupid they were. I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't recommend uh, giving into Facebook random Facebook comments on situations. You know. That people don't know about. Well, that's why I don't think that was advertised because they couldn't say that because that would disclose who the minor was. Right, so maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just rape at the time. All they could say was rape or or statutory rape Mm -hmm. or whatever it was because you made a specific comment on one guy who commented, oh, hell no, daddy, get your gun. Like, how ironic is that? This person doesn't know the story. Right. Uh, That is daddy. That is daddy. But but you can't say that because that gives the identity of the minor way. But, of course, everyone that knew us knew. Knew because it was, it. they just did. I, I had to, in that first two or three days of coming home, I had to charge my phone repeatedly during the day because of the number of calls and texts and and I just I don't I don't want to talk to you right now because again I went the opposite of you and I was like I don't care I don't care who knows I don't don't ask me questions you don't have people call what happened I don't know I don't know we're gonna deal with it so the emergency phase for us was very different mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah and for me I'm just like, I I think one really interesting thing is I would just, I would keep thinking I was waking up from this dream. Mm. I kept thinking I was in a dream because I was like, there's no way this is happening because things in my life were changing so, so rapidly, so fast. I mean, my dad, who I spent 50% of my time with mm-hmm. and who texted me, I mean, we'll kind of get into this, but he had a lot of emotional control over me as well. You know, he texted me, good morning, good night, like day in, day out, was always in communication with me, is now all of a sudden gone. And I'm finding myself looking around and I'm like, well, what parts are me Mm -hmm. and what parts are him? And I'm 16 years old trying to be like, do I really like that? Or did my dad tell me I like that? Mm -hmm. You know, because he had a lot of control over me, uh, obviously. Very manipulative. Yeah. So, um, what made you want to start your healing journey? Me? Start my personal healing journey? Yeah, so I realized, you know, that this is probably a lot later. My healing journey started the second that I told you. Yes, and we knew that, and through the therapy that we received, obviously... We needed therapy. Through the therapy that we received, it was very opposite because the moment you told, that started your healing journey. But the moment you told took everyone else from a sense of normalcy to, bam, we're down now. What's what's happening? And we're in defense mode and we're trying to recover from that. So we went very opposite. You went from, I'm in defense mode all the time. I don't like what's happening. I'm going to tell somebody and relief. Right. And we, so we had to pull ourselves up to get with you at that point. You're, the day that happened, your healing started and our 
trauma started. Trauma started because we learned, yeah. you know, so it's, yeah. it's very opposite. Of course, you know, we weren't the ones that went through anything either, but understanding that not only did we have to pull ourselves up from where we found ourselves after your disclosure, we also learned you have relief, but you were going to have to go back down too because part of your healing was going to be understanding it was wrong. Right. At this point, you're still so brainwashed and manipulated. Feeling bad. Like part of me felt mm -hmm. so bad to turn him in. I had to convince myself, and I thought about this the other day. Um, What's so funny is in my head, I convinced myself that him going to jail would be good for him. I was like... Because he hated his life so much. He always talked about how much he hated his life and he hated his job and he hated everything, Mm -hmm. right? And so I was like, in my head, I like convinced myself. I was like, you know, well, maybe jail would be good. Whatever. (laughs) It's a change in routine. Like I literally had to convince myself that it would be a positive thing for him to turn him in. Whatever it takes. Right. So Because he went to jail May 9th. 2015 and he hasn't set foot out since right so I mean I don't care if he changes positively all I care is that he never comes near us again right yeah and we'll get into that whole trial thing because the justice system is just a system Right. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into all that too. But the disclosure, it was, you know, May 8th, 2015. I'll I'll just, I'll never forget it. There are some blurry parts about it, but the triggers and and the high points and the important parts, I'll never forget. That changed everyone's life. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, Absolutely it is. And so if you're somebody out there who's thinking about, you know, even if you're an adult who experienced childhood sexual abuse, like it's worth it to tell somebody and it may not be worth it um, to tell the abuser. Right. Just to tell it, just to say it. Just tell it to a friend, tell it to anybody. Because, you know, I have a small circle of friends now. Do you know how many people based on you, based on you disclosing and eventually us going through everything and letting everybody in on what we were going through? Do you know how many people in my small circle of friends told me that thank you so much for what you've done for her that they experienced it and they either told and no one believed them or they never told out of my small circle mm-hmm. of friends, three. Right. And, and that's huge. Yeah. That's like probably 25% of the women I know. And I've found out more since then. So probably 50% it's of the small circle has come to me to say it happened to me. I never told or it happened to me, I told my mom, and she didn't believe me. And that's just... And 
so that's something that I also wanted to address is I was just so fortunate to have a parent that believed me. There are a lot of people who go tell their parents. There are a lot of children who go tell their parents and they are not supported in that way. Mm -hmm. This is a very unique case of a non-offending parent taking the child's side. Because it's, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say embarrassing, but... You know, it's it's a hard pill to swallow as a non-offending parent to hear this has been going on for seven years. Right. You know, how did I not know? And you, because if I had taken that path of being defensive, which most do, it's like, no, I'm not going to let you hang me out to say this has been going on for seven years and I didn't know it. Right. I don't care. I didn't care. Hang me out. Hang me up. You know, give me all you've got to give me because she just told me this and and she's the focus right now. Right. She's I need the help. one who needs help right now. Maybe I even saw it as my punishment. You should have known, so you're going to have to stand up and say it. And for some reason, not for some reason, because I'm a fucking human being for some reason, I believed, and there was no question past that. It's the people who don't believe. And, and I honestly, yeah. in looking back and, and through all the therapy, I don't, I don't think 90% of the I don't believe you cases are that. I think it's, okay, maybe it happened, but I am not saying anything. I'm not willing to take that because, well, it's your word against his. Yeah, exactly. It's your word against his. So who's going to believe a kid? Well, let me tell you right now, a child does not lie about sexual abuse, period. What kind of embarrassment would it be it's already embarrassing when it happened. What child is going to get up the nerve to say it falsely? I just, children don't lie. It's an embarrassing situation. It's an, it, it, it's an unfathomable situation for them. So if a child of any age comes to you as an adult and says, this has been happening, fucking believe them and help them because they have chosen you as their, as their savior, as their helper, as their, they've chosen you. It is a, it's an honor that, that a child went through so much torture and, um, just uncertainty with the ground shifting underneath them all the time and not knowing who to trust and losing faith and trust in everybody. It's, it's an honor that they chose you to disclose to. They chose you because you stood out among all the chaos in their brain as a person who would help them. So fucking help them. You don't even have to take the responsibility on yourself. Take them to an advocacy center. Take them to the police. And and if so be it, okay, let someone else take it from that point. But take the step 
to help them. To report. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's mandatory in most states anyway. It's if not mandatory all of them. in Tennessee. It's mandatory all here. And, I, and we started down this trial. I wanted the people that I even thought had an idea of this on trial too. But, you know, I was told that would probably be a really hard path. And let's just focus on this path because right. I was mad. I was mad at myself. There, yeah, there, yeah, I was mad. The emergency phase is different for everybody. The main thing in here is no reaction as the survivor, mm-hmm. as the victim, as the person disclosing. No reaction is wrong. They're going to feel different feels at different times. Right. And so what I really wanted to kind of get into was a little bit of the advice that Laura Davis had for people going through the emergency stage. Um, She has a really good list in here of like things that you can do. Um, So one thing she says is just know that you're not going crazy. This is a, a, a very chaotic time in your life. Find supporters that we kind of talked about. Seek out skilled professionals. You know, we went to a children's advocacy center because I was under 18 at the time. They're the ones who did my forensic interview um, as well as my physical. Sorry. As, <laughs> UPS <laughs> truck or something. As well as my... Um, physical examination they also arranged for a me to see a therapist there and i followed through there will be there will be so much more in future episodes for children's advocacy center um i've said it many times on social media i've said it many times in the public we wouldn't we 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 couldn't have done it without them because i didn't know what to do you know i made the first phone call and then we get the help, just like this suggests, and they took us through everything. So there'll, there'll be more to come on that for certain. So she also talks about dropping what isn't essential in your life. So just focusing on doing things that nourish you, that are important to you. If you are helping to plan your third cousin's wedding, just drop it. You know, it's just not that important if you are in this emergency state and and you are fighting to survive. Um, Something else that's important to know, which is funny because our podcast is called Surviving on Wine and Cuss Words, (laughs) is just to be careful to watch your alcohol and drug intake during this time. It can be very tempting to numb yourself, but just know that no matter how panicked you feel, like you will come out on the other side. Like, Everybody is different and, you know, you'll come out on the other side. And another note on that is don't hurt or kill yourself. No. Don't, it, it's not worth it and it will be over. You will get to this other side and you will think, you know, it'll be just so exciting. Hang on. Maybe that was a garbage truck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And yes, yes. You know, I, don't be afraid to get on medication. Like, I had to um, continue, you know, get on some psych meds just to help with the depression and anxiety, even though where I knew it was coming from, even though I wasn't, it wasn't an idiopathic 
depression or anxiety. I knew where it was coming from. It's, I still benefited from medications, from just taking care of yourself. So just, you know, I, I it's all going to pass. It's all going to pass. It's never going to go away. But it, you won't be the same. You know, we're not in an emergency state. We can talk about this and not feel that sense of flight or flight or that mm-hmm. sense of panic. But during this stage, especially if you are the abused person and you tell somebody, it, you can kind of get in that headspace that, you know, you've made a mistake and, and you're just living through this panic. And, you know, we're just kind of here to tell you that that's not a mistake. And that's something that everybody goes through mm-hmm. when they kind of talk about abuse and they, they address it for the first time head on. And do it. Don't. Yeah. A suicide or going down a bad path is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You can there is help. I don't care if you are alone and you don't know a single soul. There is help. And that's something that this podcast, this this video, this what we're doing here is to make sure the resources are highlighted, linked, all of that. Resources to suicide hotlines, to children's advocacy centers, to the books that will help you because you know, if you're not even in that, that stage where you think you can tell somebody, get the book. The book may encourage it's the courage to heal, you know. You can heal yourself. It, don't, don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Is there anything else you want to add? For this particular For first this emergency stage. episode kind of introducing us and and what we're going to get into. Uh, The only thing I would probably add is through all of this, the bravest and most heroic person I know or will ever meet is Emily because it takes courage to do what she did. It takes courage to do what anyone does, much less a child to start this stone rolling down a hill or snowball because it gets bigger, it gets bigger, but it will melt eventually. Right. It takes courage. So I I don't know anyone as brave. I don't know anyone as heroic. She's my mom, so she has to say that. I don't have to say that. I don't have to say that. You know, some people can stand back. People at work, you know, there's people at work that check in with me a lot. The the few people that know what happened and might take me to the side and say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, during all this, there was one boss in particular that, you know, would take me to this. And anytime he would say, can I talk to you? I would immediately start crying because I know what he's going to ask. And <laughs> how are you doing? This. Oh, how don't ask me that. <laughs> yeah, it's don't. But he said one day, I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you're doing it. You're you're working and you're doing this and going to court and do. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I have to. I'm not doing it well. I, I'm doing it because I have to, and I'm learning as I go. And that's that's what we want this for. That's what we want this out there for. My from my point of view, other non-offending parents and adults to know there is 
hope on the other side and to have an advocate to reach out to because you can reach out to us. We have ways that you can reach out to us. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about the podcast, please email us at survivingonwineandcusswords at gmail.com. That's right. Um, If you have a story that you want to share with us, we would love to start kind of sharing stories as we get done with with sharing ours, obviously. Um, Or any questions. Or any questions or something you want us to talk about. Because we kind of started in the middle of this tragedy. The disclosure was the middle. You know, we, we'll we be going back to what happened. Mm-hmm. We'll be going forward to where we are now, where Emily has two bachelor's degrees. She's a nurse. She's got a degree in biochemical engineering, biochemical molecular engineering. <laughs> She's got a nursing degree. So that's hope. Yeah. I mean, that's the, she went through all that and here she is a successful, productive member of society. That, you know, that it, happened. So, yeah. I, well, think, I think for the first one, I think we've covered a lot. All right. Well, it was lovely talking to you guys. Yes, um, I hope we see you on the next episode. Mom, do you have something to say to all those beautiful people who don't have moms out there? Oh, my gosh. Email me. Tell me, I will get you started. I will help you. I will help. I will believe you. I want every child who is not believed to email me and you will be heard. You will be believed and you will be helped 100%. There's not one that wouldn't be. She's a wonderful advocate. So like we said, just give us an email um, and thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll see you soon.